Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you've got a show running as long as Doctor Who has, it is absolutely certain that there are going to be so many little in-jokes, tidbits, and bits of information that it's just impossible to stay up to date with. I mean, six decades. That's a lot of Doctor Who. And even in reviewing these articles, I must confess that even I myself am finding out things I never knew. For example, did you know that they recast him? With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Who Culture, and here are 10 Doctor Who facts most fans don't no. Number 10. Ridley Scott's involvement with Doctor Who. The iconic design of the Daleks has been key to their longevity in the popular imagination and has led to the villains appearing in some truly unexpected places over the years. Designed by Raymond Cusick and built by Bill Roberts along with the team at Shawcraft, Terry Nation's classic creations rolled plunger first onto screens in December of 1963 and of course changed the course of Doctor Who's future. Cusick wasn't the original BBC set designer assigned to the first Dalek serial however. Also working as a set designer at the time was future sci-fi director Ridley Scott and the job of designing the Dalek City and the Doctor's iconic foes was originally assigned to him. It's an enticing what-if scenario, but Scott left the beat before work commenced on the Dalek serial. Unfortunately for sci-fi fans, this means there's no hidden treasure chest of Dalek designs drawn by the director of Blade Runner and Alien. Number 9. 2001 A Space Odyssey was inspired by the Daleks' master plan. Ridley Scott isn't the only legendary Hollywood director to have had a brush with Doctor Who and the Daleks. In 1965, while the BBC was airing Doctor Who's epic serial The Daleks' Master Plan, one Stanley Kubrick was mounting his iconic sci-fi movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. The production design of Kubrick's film was hugely influential on release and still influences the design of sci-fi blockbusters today. So it's surprising that Kubrick's production team reached out to a cheap tea-time TV show for help in achieving the film's ground groundbreaking sci-fi aesthetic. Following the broadcast of episode 5 of the 12-part serial, a member of Kubrick's team contacted the episode's director, Douglas Camfield, to discuss how he'd achieved certain effects. That episode follows on from when Katarini became the first Doctor Who companion to be killed off after ejecting herself and her captor out of an airlock. This sequence drew the attention of Kubrick's team, who wanted to know how the bodies of Katarina and her captor floating in space were filmed. They were also interested in how he achieved the molecular dissemination effect similar to Star Trek's transporter technology. Given Doctor Who's reputation for having wobbly sets and cheap effects, it's heartening to know that Stanley Kubrick's team recognised the inventiveness of this show. Number 8. Not even John Pertwee knows where the Third Doctor's tattoo came from. The Third Doctor's Cobra tattoo has been the subject of fan myth and speculation for decades. Is it a Time Lord prison tattoo? Some form of division branding? The real story of how John Pertwee got his Cobra tattoo is equally mysterious, with the actor confirming that even he is entirely sure where it came from. In his memoir, Moon Boots and Dinner Suits, Pertwee recounts many stories of his impressive career in the Navy. Most people already know that he worked alongside James Bond creator Ian Fleming in that department, adding an additional layer of the meaning of the oft 
repeated comparison between the Third Doctor and Mr. Bond. In one passage from the book, Pertwee writes about waking up with a horrendous hangover from a night out while serving in the Navy. I'd been tattooed. A green and scarlet cobra was squirming itself into a question mark on my forearm. God knows where or by whom this work of art was done, but whoever it was had executed quite a fair job, and it doesn't seem to have upset too many people over the years. Apart from those perplexed Doctor Who fans who are still trying to write the cobra into canon, that is. Number seven. The Met Police sued the BBC for the rights to the TARDIS. In the run-up to the 1996 TV movie, the Patent Office approved the familiar blue box of the Doctor's TARDIS as a BBC trademark. The police objected to this, stating that they should own the copyright given that the TARDIS was disguised as a police public call box. However, police boxes have begun to disappear from UK streets in 1958, five years prior to the broadcast of Doctor Who's very first episode in 1963. This led to the hearing officer to state, I bear in mind that for most of the period since the police call box was taken out of service, the only sight the public at large would have had of this item of street furniture has been in the TV programme Doctor Who, provided by the BBC where it is a TARDIS, a fictional time-travelling machine with the external appearance of a police box. It was a bizarre move by the Met to try and profit from the merchandise from a sci-fi show, and nowadays their craven commercialism would surely attract the attention of the anti-corruption officers from Line of Duty's AC-12. You can just picture Ted Hastings staring at a Met copyright lawyer across a table of TARDIS t-shirts, piggy banks and bubble bath bottles, firmly shaking his head and uttering, you've got a bloody nerve. Number six, Captain Jack was almost beheaded to become the face of Bo. Despite what John Barrowman may have said in later years, Stephen Moffat did want to bring Captain Jack back to Doctor Who during his tenure as showrunner. When the Doctor and Rory set out to rescue Amy from Madame Covarian in A Good Man Goes to War, the Doctor assembles a formidable team to assist them, and originally Captain Jack was supposed to be in that team, alongside Madame Vastra, Strax, Jenny, and a fashionably late River Song. The only issue is that John Barrowman was busy making Torchwood Miracle Day, and was unable to appear in Season 6 as mid-season finale. To fill the gap left by Jack, Moffat brought back Dorium Maldivar. Dorium has a pretty brutal end, decapitated by the headless monks and forced to live the rest of his life in a box. The fate was originally to befall Captain Jack, which would have set up his transformation into the face of Bo further down the line. Jack's eventual fate was first teased at the end of Doctor Who Series 3 by a characteristically mischievous Russell T Davies. For now, the nature of the transformation will remain ambiguous. Number 5. The Doctor was originally a villain. Yes, the Doctor is a bit shady in both the original unaired pilot and the as-broadcast version of An Unearthly Child, but the original version of the character was envisioned as a much more villainous creation. Co-writing an outline for Doctor Who with Sidney Newman and Donald Wilson, writer C.E. Webber put forward an alternate origin for the Doctor that, weirdly, has something in common with Chris Chibnall's Tecteun. In the original outline, the Doctor was on the run from his own people who were concerned about his meddling with time. And why were they so concerned? Well, the Doctor was travelling through time to find his perfect past, and when he found it, he intended to stay there for forever by destroying the future. In a pop culture landscape dominated by fan nostalgia and people living in the past, this is a strong concept for a Time Lord villain in modern Doctor Who. It would have been the kiss of death for the original show, however, and thankfully the idea was nixed by Sidney Newman with a rather blunt script note, nuts. Number four, the fourth Doctor and the Valyard were offered a threesome. Tom Baker's drinking days in the Colony Club in Soho during the 1970s are the stuff of legend. There are references to those days in Matt Berry's sitcom Toast of London, where a man dressed as the Fourth Doctor can regularly be seen having a drink in the background of Toast's club. John Hurt, later the War Doctor, was another of the Colony's regulars. Tom Baker also knew the future Valyard, Michael Jaston, and somehow the two actors were once propositioned by the acclaimed British artist Francis Bacon for a threesome in exchange for one of Bacon's paintings. Baker and Bacon were drinking buddies at the Colony, but it's 
unclear if Jason was a member. Perhaps Tom signed him in. The story was told by Jason at a Doctor Who signing a few years ago, recounted by Darren Floyd in his hilarious blog about getting the Doctor Who cast to sign an NWA album. The two men politely turned Bacon down, possibly just as well. Number three, the Doctor almost met Jesus. In the early stages of Doctor Who, various big ideas were thrown around regarding potential Christmas episodes, and the Hartnell era did actually get one. 1965's bonkers The Feast of Stephen, in which the Doctor and his companions take a break from the Daleks' master plan to get arrested, crash a silent movie set, and wish everyone at home a very Merry Christmas. However, the original ideas were much more outlandish than anything in The Feast of Stephen. One of the ideas saw a drunk Doctor as Marley's ghost in A Christmas Carol, something that Stephen Moffat would finally realise in 2010. Another idea would see Cinderella's fairy godmother reveal to be the Doctor's wife, who was chasing him across time and space. Again, an idea that Stephen Moffat would finally realise, sort of, between 2008 and 2015. Hello, sweetie. The most eye-catching idea was a Doctor Who historical set in Bethlehem during the birth of Jesus Christ, which wasn't too far away from some of the educational historical adventures that would define Sidney Newman's original vision. Perhaps the Doctor, Ian and Barbara would pose as the three wise men, or perhaps use science to create some sort of beacon to act as the nativity star. Number two. Boris Karloff was originally offered the role of the Doctor. Horror icon Peter Cushing famously played the Doctor in the two 1960s Dalek movies, and a year after the release of the Dalek Invasion of Earth 2150 AD, another horror icon was being considered for the role of the Doctor. Boris Karloff, best known for playing Frankenstein in the Universal Monster movies, was considered for a proposed radio spin-off for audiences in Australia and other overseas territories. Given his legendary status, and the fact he won a Grammy for narrating the 1966 animation How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Karloff would have been a voice actor of note for an international audience. He turned the role down, however, as he was too busy to take on the proposed 52-episode radio serial. The project was ultimately rejected by the BBC, but a pilot is believed to have been recorded, based on a script by Malcolm Hulk entitled Journey Into Time. It would have seen the Doctor and his granddaughter arrive during the American Revolution, and accompanying promotional material suggested that, if successful, the radio show would have adapted existing Doctor Who stories, while also telling new ones. Number 1. TARDIS wasn't supposed to be an acronym. How exactly to write the name of the Doctor's ship has been the source of contention for quite some time. Is TARDIS a universally accepted acronym, or is TARDIS merely a name, like one you would give to a sailboat? According to David J. Howe and Stephen James Walker's unofficial guide to Doctor Who, the sailboat concept was the original intention by the creators of the show, something that is backed up by a lot of the dialogue in its early days. For example, the first Doctor and his companions rarely refer to the TARDIS, but rather the ship. Stephen Moffat even made a nostalgic joke about this when the first and twelfth Doctors met in Twice Upon a Time. The Doctor who annuals also appear to follow this pattern of the ship being dubbed TARDIS rather than the word being an acronym. Sometimes the stories in those pages would refer to the Doctor and his companions returning to TARDIS rather than to the TARDIS as is the norm now. For years fans were hung up on the line about Susan inventing the TARDIS acronym which perhaps suggested something larger. Maybe she was just a trendsetter who dubbed the Doctor's rickety old type 40 TARDIS and the Doctor's legend caught on and influenced the branding of future time capsules. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.